that as well. Our passage today is going to be from Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And this is about the birth of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they became became together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, excuse me, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she became until she gave birth to a son. And he called and they called his name Jesus. And so there we have, as tempting as it is for me, I love this passage. There's so many great things in there uh, about, the, about the, the incarnation, really, of Christ, which simply means that Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was born into the world. But what I'd like to talk about today is highlight one aspect of this, which I believe is one of the most critical aspects of our entire salvation. And that is the virgin birth of Mary. Why did this have to happen? And if you ask some scholars, especially some modern-day scholars, they'll look at this and say, well, you know, the birth of Jesus is incredibly important, obviously. But I tell you what, if you would take out this crucifixion out of the Bible, and you were to take out the resurrection out of the Bible, either or, our faith, faith would fall flat on its face. But if you took the birth out of the Bible, the virgin birth, would it really matter? And again, I said a lot of modern theologians will say this. What I mean by that is sometimes there'll be a liberal theology that doesn't necessarily believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it's got lots of mistakes and it doesn't necessarily mean specific what it says. As a matter of fact, the word virgin can mean young woman and so forth. But I have to say, I greatly disagree with that. I think without the virgin birth, our faith, our ability to be saved, our ability to be made new, and many other things falls flat on its face. There's lots of miraculous stories in the Bible about births. As a matter of fact, there are seven. 
And we've been through a lot of these. We've talked about Abraham and Sarah. We've talked about Samson. We talked about Rebecca. And all these were women that were barren, that were unable to have children. And God did a miraculous work in their life. And these people also happened to be in that chain of redemption. In the line that God was using to bring about the Messiah. And it's almost like he was giving little foreshadows. Like in a film, right? If you know something, there's going to be a big battle in the film. And the hero is going to be doing that battle. Typically in the beginning of the film, they'll show you his, some skill that he has. To foreshadow that. Or maybe he takes out a few thugs over here on his way home from the store. And you know now that they're setting you up for something really big down the end. He's going to be using those skills in a big way. And God showing us throughout the scriptures of miraculous biological births is pointing the, the, the finger to something bigger. And that is really the only supernatural birth in the scriptures where God creates out of nothing a human being. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus. It says here that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. It's funny because it says that the birth of Jesus was as follows. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, and she was found with child. But then in verse 19 it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, didn't want to disgrace her. And then it says later that he kept her a virgin, you know, until they got married. And so what does this word betrothed mean? And so before we get into it, I want you to understand just the sort of dilemma that Joseph was in. And first of all, back at this time, if you were, there was really three parts to a marriage. There was the engagement which if you had a young child and let's say your neighbor had a young child in your community, you could engage those two to be married. You could say, hey, you know, your daughter and my son, let's, they're about the same age. Let's put them together and let's aim to marry these two. And so that would be sort of called the engagement. And they were selected by the parents. This is the first phase. And then when they got of maritable age, they went into the second phase, which would be a, a betrothment or an espousal. You can call it either one. And that means that you are serious now. These two people are now going to come together as a formal couple for one year. And during that one year, they're not married, but they're just as much as if they, sh they, they, they would have to get a writ of divorce in order to break that betrothment. And so it is a very serious thing. Then after a year of that betrothment, they would actually have the wedding ceremony. And so Joseph here in this situation, you know, he just started his betrothment with Mary. They're about to get married in a year. She's very young. We you know some people say 15, 14, 16. Who knows? But she was definitely a young child. Well, a young teenager, I guess we would say. And meanwhile, he's betrothed to her, and now all of a sudden she says, hey, I'm pregnant. But then Joseph, in a dream, because what he wanted to do is he says, i got to save her life. I love this girl. If she, if she ends up getting found out, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to bring her out, and they're going to stone her for being an adulteress, because she was committed to Joseph, and she was having sex outside of marriage. 
So Joseph wanted to do whatever he could to send her away secretly. <clears throat> but then I love what happens in the dream. Joseph is in the dream. He doesn't just get woken up in his dream by saying, hey, Joseph, Mary, you know, your wife, the child who has been born and conceived is of the Holy Spirit. What does he call Joseph? He calls him son of David. So Joseph knows here there's something going on. And so Joseph, having faith, takes Mary and they scoot around and he ends up, he does, he, he, he protects her. He follows the direction from the Lord. I'm not going to go in and exegete that whole thing, but he follows the direction of the Lord and he ends up, obviously Jesus ends up being born and he ends up being married to her. But it says in verse 23, what we read earlier today, right? In, the, in, in, in Isaiah, it says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so if you think about this, why did God have to bring Jesus into the world through somebody that was completely, not only pure from a perspective of being a virgin, but also pure from another perspective as well? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a few reasons. Number one, in the Bible, the sin passes down from the line of the man. And so <clears throat> every single one of us right here has inherited sin. All of us here right now, there's nobody in this room that has never sinned. At least, uh, at least you may think you've never sinned. I don't know if you're listening to this, but according to the Bible, you've sinned. But why is it that you have sinned? You've sinned because you are a sinner. You are born under the curse of Adam. And so the first reason that Jesus had to become born in the way that he did was so that he could bypass the sin of Adam. Jesus, you could say, intercepted the sin of Adam. He took it, I don't know if you saw a few years back, I think it was in 2014, Super Bowl 49, Seahawks versus Patriots. I know this is on everybody's mind right now. <laughs> Seahawks are about to take over and beat the Patriots. It's the last drive of the game, under two minutes. They drive all the way down the field, and if they score a touchdown, the Seahawks, if they score a touchdown, they're going to win the Super Bowl and beat the New England Patriots. And then a rookie, his, I think his last name was Gilbert. I can't find it in my notes. I sort of went off my notes a little bit. He ends up intercepting the ball. The Seahawks get a little cocky, you know, at the one or two yard line. And they throw a pass instead of running the ball into the end zone. The ball is intercepted. Does the guy run it back for a touchdown? Nope, he just intercepts it. And he changes the course of the entire Super Bowl. It's over. The time is about to run out, the Patriots celebrate, and they win at the last second. This is what Jesus did for us by becoming born as a virgin, um, being born through, uh, through the Virgin Mary. And that is because he intercepted that line of Adam. He intercepted that sin. 
Because every single one of us, when we're born, again, in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that it wasn't Adam who sinned. It even says that in the scriptures. It was his wife. But yet through the scriptures, we see what? Adam is the one who's charged with the sin. And that's because we, we're, it's called a federal headship in, in theology. Okay? Adam was born by God, and Adam was sinless. He, had no, he, had, he was a complete clean slate. He chose, and he was responsible, he chose and he sinned against God by going along with Eve, by eating of the forbidden fruit, And that creation that God made, mankind, now became completely corrupted. It's important for us to get this. Because like I said, if we don't get this, all of our faith sort of falls on its face. Now, everyone replicated out of Adam comes with that deficiency. Right? Remember when we used to record the little cassette tapes, those of you that are over... 40 years old, right? We used to dupe them, right? We'd have to put the little tape on the, on the back holes. But if there was one thing about those tapes is the more that you, everything that you taped, it picked up. So if you missed like a little thing and you were recording your, your, a song off the radio and you hit record and the DJ came on and ah, you missed it, right? That would go on every single duplication, every single one of those tapes. And those tapes would get weaker and weaker and weaker as they become duplicated. With sin, as we came out of Adam, we also grabbed that imprint of sin, but instead of becoming weaker and weaker, that sin became stronger and stronger. And the reason why is because we weren't only just sinners, now we started to commit sin. And so it got stronger and stronger and stronger. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, in our natural born state and what does that simply mean that means that we are spiritually dead unto god god is holy 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 and we're sinful 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 thrice sinful thrice holy we are just as as much as god is holy in our adamic state that's how much we are sinners that's how separated we are from god So Jesus coming here, being born of a virgin, he bypassed the lineage, so to speak. I don't know if that's probably the best word. But he bypassed that downline and he intercepted the human race. He took it and completely changed the course of the entire game. Where now Satan was unable... To ever win. Because God sent his son. Pure. Holy. Just. Right. But fully divine. The Bible says that he sent him in the likeness. Of sinful flesh. Jesus didn't come with actual sinful flesh. He bypassed that. He was susceptible to all the miseries. To all the obviously even death all the pains of this world, all the torments of this world, all the temptations of the world that we go through, he endured and went through those same things. And he was able to overcome something that Adam was not able to do. 
So he bypasses this whole entire curse that's coming down the human race. Jesus comes in, bypasses the curse, and he intercepts the human race to make it really fully human the way that God designed in the garden. He changed the course of everything by, become, by coming through this virgin, by passing the seed of the man. And now, what does that enable us to do? Well, it enables us to be able, remember what we said in the beginning when Moses had the serpent on the pole, right? It enables us to look at someone now. Because before Jesus came, there was no one to look at. The law was there, but only the law was a mirror to show us how corrupt that we actually were, how holy God actually is, and how much, how fallen we are. And so he takes that curse and he reverses it. And so now, and the Bible says that, again, the Bible says that this reversal impacted even creation in Romans 8. That creation itself groans in anticipation of the redemption that's going to happen with us as humans, the sons of God. And the whole world is going to be changed. Jesus' virgin birth changed the course of the entire world, but it also gave each and every person the opportunity now to have someone to look at. And so Jesus took that deadness that would have been forever. We would have been completely corrupt forever. And now he creates this possibility. And so what else does it do? Well, because Jesus, because Jesus bypassed this curse, he was able to live this sinless life and he was able to be the perfect sinless sacrifice for our, all of our transgressions. To Israel first, and then to the Gentiles. And so he allowed us the first thing I'm, I'm really talking to you guys about. In theology, we call it original sin. So the first thing is he bypassed original sin. Now, the second thing is he allowed us to be able to have something to look at. He freed us from this corruption and deadness of being under Adam. It says here that therefore in Romans 5.12, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men so all could sin. But then it keeps on going and it says, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So now we are able to be justified by us believing in Jesus Christ because Jesus gave us that second chance. He became the second Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.45, so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but his soul died. I added that last part. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So he creates this possibility. But again, he, how come he was able to be able to deliver us from sin again is because he committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. Now this is, uh, 
something that I think Romans 7 talks a lot about in terms of how this actually happened. You see, Jesus, put it this way. If you're a Superman fan, you understand this. What's Superman's biggest fear and biggest enemy? Kryptonite. So kryptonite is most powerful when it's near Superman. I know this sounds like a trivial example, but I really want you to get how Jesus was able to bear this sin for us, this curse. Superman's the most powerful man alive, but sin, like kryptonite, becomes most powerful. Sin became most powerful and amplified when it was put on the most complete, sinless, holy one, which was Christ. Paul says in Romans 7 that through the holy commandment, through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. And so what God did is he tricked the forces of darkness. He sent his son into the world, bypassing the sin of Adam, living a sinless life. And this holy, righteous God in the flesh now becomes the curse of the law, where the whole entire law becomes magnified. And it puts and it's placed on his back. Every transgression of the law that we've committed put on the back of Christ. And in one swift punch at the cross, he consumes it and does away permanently with sin. And so for you, if you believe in Christ, there is no there's no uh, summons against you in heaven. In the, in, the, in the courtroom of God right now, you, don't, you can't find anything written against you because Jesus took all of that sin on his back and he quenched it with his sinless body. He became sin who knew no sin. He didn't become some sin. He became all of the sin of every single person that believed in him was placed on his back. And so now we can live freely knowing that we can walk in the grace of God. Yes, we have sinful flesh. We're going to battle the flesh. But we have the grace of God that's going to out, outstretch that sin that's, that comes through our life. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And that's very specific and very, very literal. So we see him becoming a sinless substitute because of the virgin birth. We also, obviously, the first thing is we see him bypassing the sin of Adam, original sin. But I also think, too, that God was doing this to show us that it's God, and this would be the third point, and that it's God who always does the saving. God does the saving. Now, there is seven, including Jesus, miraculous births in the Bible. If you look through the, if you search, you know, on the internet and commentaries, whatever, every commentary says seven, but I'm changing it today to eight. And I like eight better because eight is the number of what? Does anyone know that? New beginnings. You see, you can count seven if you start with Abraham and Sarah and you go all the way to Jesus, that's seven. But there's one supernatural birth that everybody forgets about. Which one is that? What is it? No. Nope. Yes, but no. I'm talking about in the scriptures, 
It's Adam. Adam was born supernaturally. He was created out of nothing. Absolutely out of nothing. None of us has ever... We had nothing to do with our birth, right? Obviously. But we were procreated by a father and a mother. Adam was originally created out of nothing. That shows the power that God has, especially if you know how complex creating is, especially the human body. So if you count Adam, then you see Jesus as that new number eight, that new creation, that new beginning, because he is that second Adam. But it shows us, too, this virgin birth shows, just like Adam being born out of nothing, that Jesus, too, was supernaturally created and born out of nothing. God conceived inside of Mary's womb supernaturally. There was no male involved. And so we now are the knockoffs of that. We are. We're the knockoffs, right? When we, obviously, we're not completely made new flesh and being birthed into this world, but you said it before, that miracle uh, that God creates out of nothing is our salvation. So I believe that God showed us through the virgin birth, through Adam, that it's he that does the saving. He is the one that creates. He is the one that gives life. So he's the one that gave us the new birth. But the groundwork had to be laid. Everything is in place. Jesus' birth bypassed original sin. Jesus' life overcame sin. Jesus' death conquered sin. And now all we have to do is believe on Jesus Christ. And why is that so hard for us to do? Because, well, number one, it's got to be from God. God's got to open your heart. And you'll know when he opens your heart because you won't be able to resist him. I'm not saying it's going to be a snap of the finger. It may be a pulling. It may be a fight. You may fight harder than others. But eventually you're going to come to Christ because everyone that comes to him, everyone that the Father looks at and says, go to Christ, he goes. And Jesus raises him up on the last day. But there is a component where we have to, where God tells tells us we have to choose him. And see, right now, I know that's all of us because we're here right now. And there's many of us here. We come here every week. But I know many of us here struggle. And I'm not saying because I, I have secret knowledge or I talk to people or anything like that. But I know if you're struggling with your salvation, you're not believing God. There's nothing you can do for it. But God does want your heart. He wants you to come to Christ. He wants you to choose him. And so as a bonus here, Jesus becomes our legitimate substitute. As a, uh, you know, he, he, he provides a salvation miraculous. He bypasses original sin. But I love this, and I'll give you this one more, what he did with this, with this virgin birth, is that he unleashed, he unleashed new creation. We sort of, I, I hinted at this before. And so why is this so important? Because 
when he came and died on the cross and rose again, he opened up an opportunity for the world to be made new. But that only happens by you and I being made new first. Because God designed it as you are going to be saved and you're going to be used now in this project. And I love for uh, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Not only did all, were all things made by him, through him, and for him, but he's also that first fruit, that firstborn of the new creation as well, which should push us to action. God loved you so much that he chose you to be able to see the truths about Jesus who he sent into the world. Will you believe on him? I think back to my life on Christmas and I, you know, we have, everybody has traditions. My tradition is, you know, going to my grandmother's house every Christmas Eve, looking forward to it all year, all the family being there. But how many Christmases did I sit there every single year? This, this actually almost to the day marks my conversion of about 23 years. But before that, how many times did I go through the rituals? How many times did I hear about the birth? How many times did I hear about the cross? How many times did I hear Jesus is the reason? When my heart wasn't right, when my heart wasn't there. So I pray that you realize just how much and just to what extent God went for you to be saved and to know his son. Because isn't that what it's all about here in verse 23? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to be with you. In your sin, you're not with him. You're separated. In Christ, you are intimately with him. And so with that said, a total picture of this, of what God wants us to do, is right here in this meal that we're about to eat. The Lord's Supper. It's a visible picture of what Jesus did at the cross. But it's also a visible picture of what he wants us to do with that information. He wants us to receive it. He wants us to appropriate it. He wants us to receive him, to appropriate him, to drink down the blood of Christ Figuratively, symbolically, of course. That blood going inside of us, cleansing us from our sin. And that's what we're going to do when we do this. The Bible says very clearly that when we do this, we have to make sure that we do it with the right heart. Not sinlessly. But I believe that what he's talking about here, he says, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of it. And it's the same with our Christianity, right? And Christmas and everything else. What are we doing with the information we have and what we know? Well, this is one thing that God wants us to be sure of. That this is a spiritual act that we are doing right now. He says that if, uh, if you don't examine yourself, you could eat this and drink judgment onto yourself. I always ask people, well, if it's not spiritual and it's just some ritualistic memory, why does spiritual things happen? I think it is spiritual. I think it's a time where God wants you to come to a quiet time in your mind and understand just 
why he came in the form of a man, body, the bread, and his blood. He came as a created being for a reason. And that, that reason is to die for our sins. So as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, let's make sure our hearts are right, but let's remember this is why Christ came into the world. To de- what we're going to demonstrate in this meal, this is why he was born. This is why we celebrate. Yes, we have joy. God wants us to be joyful, but this is why we do it. So what we'll do is we'll, I'll ask um, Hubert to come on up, uh, and the worship team can come up as well. Hubert and I will, will pass out the elements and hang on to both of them, and uh, we'll partake together.
So we'll partake through 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 um, to 30 in there. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the wine. Father, thank you for allowing us, God, to receive you spiritually. Thank you for making us born again, Lord, to be able to understand this meal. Lord, examine us. Guide us, Lord, to be able to walk better in your truth. Lord, allow us to truly understand what it means to be, uh, to be born of your spirit because of what and how you were born, Lord. And we thank you for coming to save us, Lord Jesus. Let's go before us now. In Jesus' name, amen.